So what is creativity and from where does creativity origin? Well, one way to test creativity, or at least one aspect of creativity, is by using this classic nine-dot test. And in this test, you're supposed to use only four straight lines cutting through all the nine dots. That is, four connected straight lines cutting through these nine dots. Now, I'll give you a couple of seconds if you haven't seen this one before. So, actually, quite a few of us are unable to solve this one, but it gets quite easy once you understand that you do not need to be sort of contained within the figure. So that is actually quite literally to think outside of the box. So if one aspect of creativity is to think outside of the box, where does this trait or sort of capacity origin from? So I'm a psychiatrist uh, working in Stockholm and also making research at the Karolinska Institute. And, and first I want to say that I'm really glad to be here. I'm very pleased uh, to be invited and, and send my thanks to, to Martin and all the organizers. It's a fantastic conference. And also, you know, the, the possibility to come here and see all the sort of development that has been going on in, in technology and media and so on is, is really fantastic. But I wanted to share uh, something that happened to me a couple of years ago when I was a new resident physician. So I took a call in the psychiatric emergency ward in Stockholm. And I got to meet a patient who was referred to me from his general practitioner. And uh, the question was manic depressive disorder, indication for inpatient treatment. So it was quite clear that this patient had been suffering from you know, recurrent episodes of mania down to deep depression, and one reason was poor adherence to lithium. And now he had these grandiose delusions, but he had confidence in his doctor who recommended him to seek emergency treatment and assessment. And you know, I still remember sort of taking his folder and, and, and walking towards the room where this patient was waiting. This should be in uh, a video, actually. But this is a slide from uh, the psychiatric emergency. And as I was walking down this aisle, door by door sort of passed me, and I got closer to the room. And I can tell you, if you have not gone into an emergency room with a manic patient waiting, you feel a bit stressed, actually. Because, I mean, you don't know how agitated or even violent the patient will be. So when I sort of gently closed or opened his door with sort of terror in my, my body, uh, I was relieved, actually. Because he was quite short, and he was about 80 years old. And, uh, and also he had this really fantastic white bushy hair with a sort of black hat a bit crooked on the side and an orange cardigan on. And, you know, at once he looked me straight into the eyes and he said with a very fast and loud voice, I have come here by choice and I do not need to be here. And also I'm really busy because I'm spending my days with the artistic and intellectual elite in Sweden. And also my ability to attract young women is almost limitless. <laughs> so I, I, I smiled somewhat and I thought that the referring doctor was probably right, you know, a clear case of grandiose delusions. And um, I offered him, uh, uh, you know, inpatient treatment, admission for overnight stabilization, and he accepted after a while saying that he had not slept so well uh, the last night. But then the next morning at the round, there was a new nurse, and he told me that his wife was related to the patient. And it turns out that this patient was actually one of the greatest photographers in Sweden. And he regularly socialized with the artistic and intellectual elite. And he was known for his many and current love affairs. 
<clears throat> and I remember sort of sitting at the table, sort of pondering, how would this affect my future career? But, you know, luckily, when the patient came back, he was still a bit agitated, and also when the head physician was there, so the patient sort of thanked me, saying, I have not slept so well in ages, and we parted as friends, and I sort of breathed a sigh of relief, and also realized that this had been my first contact with one of the oldest ideas in Western society, the idea of creativity originating from a close association uh, to madness. Because it is one of the oldest ideas that we have, even Aristotle has been quoted saying that no great genius has ever existed without a strain of madness. And also during the Romantic era, with writers such as Lord Byron, uh, who allegedly suffered from manic depressive disorder, this idea was even more sort of pushed forward. But also some argue that this was actually sort of a conscious strategy by writers such as Lord Byron, because at that time, after uh, Napoleon's defeat, you know, new sort of revolutionary ideas of a society led by an enlightened class was not very fashionable anymore. So somehow these men had to sort of assert their special status in society. And what they did then was to turn back to this old and ancient myth of the genius as possessed by mad demons. So this gave them a special place in society to speak freely in a sort of otherwise quite dangerous way. But also... Um, they did not know, you know, that this sort of strategy would be taken and driven by an emerging medical and, and psych psychological field. And they did studies that increasingly showed that genius and madness was just the same thing, you know, two sides of the same coin. Uh, and most radical in this sense was Lombroso, who lived in the end of the 1800s. And he argued that genius was not even possible without madness because genius was a sort of a constitutional defect showing itself as madness. Now, Lombroso, also known for his studies on crime, he argued that, um, uh, there should have been a slide of faces here actually, um, but he argued that specific anatomical features could be linked to criminality. And so this idea sort of made him to, to, to fall away and, and the whole idea of a connection between genius and madness sort of adopted a more sober view. So a couple of years later, when Lange Arschbaum presented his thesis on 800 geniuses, he said that the genius is, in fact, the consequence of a sociological process. And he says that the one who is not yet called a genius is not a genius. But nevertheless, he says that uh, it must be among those with sort of exceptional gifts and at the same time a concomitant psychopathology or sort of psychiatric disorder that history's greatest geniuses are found. And he exemplifies with Luther and Michelangelo and many, many more. And he says, it cannot be a chance matter that among these geniuses, the healthy constitute only a small minority. I mean, obviously, there has been people who argued against this idea. So Salvador Dali, for instance, he said that the only difference between me and a madman is that I'm not mad. Well... <clears throat> But, you know, he has right in a, in, in a sense, because actually the number of empirical studies in this area are very few. So the support is really weak for this association, or we might say was weak when we decided to look into this question. So what we did was to use more modern statistical methods to investigate this question on this background of a long-standing myth, weak empirical support, and also you might maybe didn't know, but in Sweden we have a fantastical possibility to do this kind of studies because we have registries that really embrace the entire population. So we use these uh, registries to you know, put the question, do persons with mental disorder more often have a creative occupation than people without a mental disorder? And also through the registries, we could identify all the first, second, 
and third-degree relatives. And uh, uh, we also used, you know, the almost entire Swedish population as controls. So, in a sense, we are all in the study, actually. I mean, as patients, as relatives, or as controls, unidentified, of course. Um, but we looked on the diagnosis, schizophrenia, manic depressive disorder, or as we say nowadays, bipolar disorder, and unipolar depression. And we then used uh, a method called uh, conditional logistic regression to get odds ratios, that is the likelihood for holding these creative occupations. So, in fact, it seems that this uh, myth is true. So on the top, uh, A, is schizophrenia. In the middle, B, is bipolar disorder or manic depressive illness. And C, is unipolar depression. And uh, you might see, I don't know if everybody can see it, but the top one is the patient, and then comes all the relatives, first, second, and third degree, and so on. And what we see is that there seems to be an increase in these creative occupations, especially in relatives of those with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. So A and B in this slide. Now, what is common for schizophrenia and bipolar disorder? Well, one thing is the presence of psychosis or sort of the altered sense of reality. So now it gets important to understand that psychiatry is increasingly looking on psychiatric disorders, not as black and white, but instead of like a continuum of features. So for instance, the patients who have psychosis, they have sort of the full-blown symptoms. But we know that in the general population, there are also those who have it more than the others, although not sort of formally having the diagnosis of psychosis. And we also know that relatives of uh, patients, they also have these tendencies more than the general population mean, although they not, might not have the, you know, the full-blown psychosis. And also, in addition, colleagues of ours were able to show that creative people have similar alterations in dopamine receptors in the brain as to patients with schizophrenia. So this is a busy slide, but if you look on A, saying thalamus, you can see that the trend goes down. And what it shows is that with increasing creativity, there is a decrease in the dopamine binding potential. So this means basically that more dopamine in this area of the brain means more creativity. So what does this thalamus do in the brain? Well, one thing that it does, or might be said to do, is acting like a filter. So it acts as a filter, filtering out everything that is deemed unimportant or unnecessary for our sort of higher mental functions. So more dopamine in this area would mean that more ideas and more stimuli would get through this filter and access our higher mental functions. I mean, obviously, our thinking would be probably a bit slower and less focused, but it would be sort of less restrained by our preconceived ideas what's right and wrong. And in fact, one study looking on patients with schizophrenia and healthy controls shows that schizophrenic patients are actually superior to healthy controls when it comes to logical conclusion. So what they did was to put two different sets of conclusions, one dubbed common sense invalid. Uh, so for instance, if the sun rises, then the sun is in the east. The sun is in the east, therefore the sun rises. So that's logical. Um, but we know that it actually doesn't rise in the east. And the other one was the non-common sense, all buildings speak loudly, a hospital does not speak loudly, therefore a hospital is not a building. 
So these are logical conclusions, but they are somewhat different because in the first, way, in the first example, we, we know that it's not really right. In the other one, we know it also, but it's so far from really being uh, true, you know. And what the results show is that, in fact, schizophrenic patients are superior in logical conclusions compared to healthy controls. In both cases, I mean, this is actually fantastic because we think that schizophrenia is sort of a, a cognitive disorder, but we show here that they are superior in logical conclusion. But it also seems that it is especially when it comes to conclusions that goes against what is sort of common sense. So basically, that they are sort of less restrained by common sense, making them be maybe more original. So in order to conclude this talk, I would say that we have evidence on a general population level of an association between schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and creativity. And we also have sort of brain studies showing similar alterations in the brain of people who are creative as those who have schizophrenia. I mean, the patients have much more extreme alterations, but still it's similar. And we can also see that patients with schizophrenia in fact, are superior when it comes to logical conclusion that goes against common sense. So I would say that the answer to this question of where does creativity origin from is at least to some extent from madness or psychotic disorder maybe. Thank you.